you know, to this day, many social media professionals across brands are either using professional design tools or they're using the native tools that the social platforms have created, right? So directly in Instagram or TikTok. The problem with that is those are designed for billions of people to use, not for brands to control their output. So your content as a brand ends up looking the same as your content as an individual. So we built a tool that allows you to create content in the same way you would natively in social which makes it look authentic. It looks kind of raw and lo-fi like you'd want on those platforms, but it also is true to your brand guidelines and your brand standards. This is the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast, showcasing outstanding startups and initiatives in the global sports tech ecosystem. From Sports Tech X, the leading source for data and insights about sports tech. Here is your host, Ron Maholtra. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Tech All Stars podcast. It's been a slow start as we come back from our summer break. I have to admit, we've uh, been busy with things, so the podcast has taken a bit of a backseat, but we're back now. I'm going to stick to our regular cadence. One thing I want to mention quickly is that next month, all throughout October, we're going to do a month dedicated to content around Web3 in sports. That's our theme. That's our topic. And all across our channels, whether it's our podcast, our blog, our newsletter, all our content is going to be focused on this theme. And all of that is going to culminate in our first of its kind Web3 in sports report, where we're going to go through a whole bunch of data, bring you insights, investment stories from Web3 in sports, industry best practices, speaking with um, some of the best, biggest names in the space. So stay tuned for that report out at the end of October, early November. But in general, across the month, we're going to do a bunch of content around Web3 in sports. So look out for that. Um, on today's episode, we're actually going to talk to a startup, something that I, I feel like I haven't done for a for a while, we've been talking to some investors and some cool initiatives, but it's also always great to shine the spotlight on some cool guys uh, doing interesting work in the sports tech ecosystem. One such company is Slate, uh, which apparently from their website effort- helps you effortlessly create on-brand social content, right? So really easy platform for you to create and disperse content across social media platform if you're a rights holder. But why am I explaining it? I let the um, co-founder, Eric Stark, tell you more. Hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. No worries at all. So I don't know, did I butcher you? I mean, I, I read the website, so I kind of agree with the introduction, but I was more or less on point. Yeah, definitely on point. Yeah, Slate is, we're a cloud-based content creation platform. And yeah, we enable the quick and easy production of social media content uh, for brands and enterprises. So enterprises, brands, you know, across media, sports, entertainment, fashion, uh, really across categories from businesses kind of big, big to small are, are facing new challenges recently with how much kind of volume of content that they need to post across a variety of social media platforms. 
increasingly those are becoming, you know, more and more short form video content. And there's different types of content creators who are producing this content on behalf of brands. They all have different skill sets in terms of design and production. And, you know, we realized really from our own working lives, I ran social media uh, for a few different NFL teams and was doing digital and social for the league. And my co-founder, Michael, he was a content creator at the 49ers with me. You know, we realized that there wasn't a tool on the market that really helped create content directly for how social media content should be created. Quick, easy, but always on brand. And that's what we, we've created. And yeah, we've helped enterprises kind of all over the world be able to, to streamline their content production on social, level up their output across platforms like Stories, Reels, TikTok, and also monetize um, those assets with, with co-branded templates. Bang on. Give me the overview straight away, which is actually what I want to, let's say, unpack a bit, starting with actually your story. You already spoke about you and your co-founder. I had a quick look at your profile and, and a couple of other places, and it seems like you've been an, an American football slash NFL guy right throughout, right? You you did an internship with the league. You've worked at a couple of teams, spent uh, a longer duration within the digital content um, let's say, a division of, uh, of the NFL itself. So you saw this problem up close, and it sounds like your, you and your co-founder did as well. Was the problem, because, at, 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 sorry, when was Slate co-founded? When was it founded? Yeah, so we started, we started just about three years ago. We had our three-year anniversary in, uh, in July. Okay, well, belated uh, happy anniversary then, I guess, to you and the entire team. So my question is that it's, it doesn't sound like a. it would have been a problem even three years ago, right? Because social or content across social media platforms has been out there for so long before. But also it's a problem that I was like, yeah, it's one that you think would have been solved, but really clearly hasn't been done well enough. So this was clearly an issue that you guys were facing either at the league level or at teams. And out of that, be able, being able to create and distribute content specifically for social is now, I think, for you guys, you're seeing the scale in the, of the problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, tools for social media uh, management have existed since kind of social media started to take off back in, you know, 2010, 2011, right? But a lot of those tools and like the big ones that we know of, like Sprout Social and Sprinkler and Hootsuite and kind of these big, um, some of them now public companies, they're, they've been focused on publishing content and analytics and listening, right? So the hitting send, what happens after that, right? Um, how you publish, how you schedule, and then what happens after. Um, really the content creation piece of that has not been solved we don't think properly um, until we came along and you know to this day many social media professionals across brands are either using professional design tools like photoshop or you know adobe premiere which movie studios are using to cut motion pictures to you know they're using these tools to edit their TikToks or to create, you know, a video for reels or stories, 
or they're using the native tools that the social platforms have created, right? So directly in Instagram or TikTok, you know, you could add things like fonts and overlays and edit videos together really quickly. The problem with that is those are designed for billions of people to use, not for brands to control their output. So your content as a brand ends up looking the same as your content as an individual. And, you know, we know the number one rule of marketing is you need to have brand consistency across platforms. So we built a tool that allows you to create content in the same way you would natively in social, which makes it look authentic. It looks kind of raw and lo-fi like you'd want on those platforms but it also is true to your brand guidelines and your brand standards. And yeah, we think that has application really wide across any business that uh, cares about a brand and is on social media, which we know is, is a lot. So yeah, we don't think the problem had been solved. Um, we definitely didn't see a solution out there when we were working, you know, either the solutions were too, uh, too intense, too professional um, like a Premiere or Photoshop, which is really for the expert designers, or it was too um, B2C, like a Canva or, you know, a CapCut, these apps that you could just download. And again, that's for anyone to create people who don't have strict brand guidelines. Um, and we know, you know, brands invest a lot in their brand and their style guide just to kind of see that go by the wayside on their most viewed platforms. And that's really what we've come in to solve. Which makes a lot of sense. And, and interesting that you brought up Canva because that was the first place that my mind went to for a product like this, because I know Canva for business came out. And I mean, we use Canva. Most companies, I would imagine, use Canva for their social content, for their static social content. Let's say not for... Uh, maybe, as you said, reels and TikToks and stuff. For the static social content, it's a great solution. But but Canva for business hasn't taken off in the same way. I don't think it generates nearly as much uh, revenue for them as you might have imagined. But within sports, maybe it's more important for brands to, because your fans are there and everybody needs that content. There's a clear demand for it. And a demand that is almost never ending, right? So here's an audience that wants raw, as you said, is easy to consume content, and you can't take forever to create it. So that uh, the sweet spot of between native apps and let's say um, high-end apps, which are almost irrelevant at this point, you can't take half an hour to upload a file on Adobe Premiere or, or whatever and wait for that to, to render and do all of that before you release your content. The content has to be out now. And I think you guys have proven that there are enough and more brands uh, within the sports world that need a product like that. So talk to me about that. Let's talk about some of your traction. So I, I, you're born out of the NFL, shall we say, but is that something that you've focused now far beyond, I would imagine? Yeah, yeah. So because of our kind of origin, having been content creators in the sports world, um, and because of such a need for a product like this in sports, that really is where we started in terms of our focus and, and our growth. So um, as you might imagine, we started kind of pitching this to NFL teams and we realized pretty quickly like this was something that they agreed was a big need and that they'd be willing to, to pay for. Uh, but we've since grown to really cover sports across the globe. Um, you know, we have teams in, in every major league in the U.S. Um, some leagues, we have the entire league. 
Uh, we have customers in European sports, in Australia, in the UK, um, you know, even in South America as well, in Canada. And yeah, we've kind of covered the gamut. And now we're really starting to move into categories that aren't just sports specific, right? I think sports has always been kind of a leading innovator in terms of social media content, partly because they have to be, right? Like there's so much content to cover and there's so much um, kind of ravenous fan bases that they need to engage really on a daily basis, especially in season, that sports teams really become kind of content farms, right? Content engines and other brands are trying to be that too. They have to be to have a presence on social media. Um, so we're starting to grow in other categories like media and entertainment um, and even general brands, you know, like I mentioned, fatness, fatness, fashion, fitness, beauty, um, brands that really want to define their, their look on social media and also have a high volume of content to produce, whether it's, you know, influencers that they're sourcing to create um, how-to content, whether it's at fashion shows, at movie premieres, clips from long-form content that they're trying to turn around and watermark on social. You know, everyone is trying to create content that's optimized for these platforms. And what's optimal for the TikToks, the reels, the stories is vertical content, cell phone shot content, content that looks raw and authentic. It's not always highly pre-produced. It's not always a planned out campaign that can get scheduled weeks in advance. And we're really finding this pain point, which is very acute in sports, also has um, you know, application well outside of sports. And really, entertainment media is kind of the next um, big kind of frontier for us where we're seeing a lot of traction. That's interesting. I mean, I guess the, the core... Or, or let's say the word live is such a big, important aspect of content creation, right? There's something happening. There's an event happening live. And how do I a, create multiple forms of this in, to distribute across channels in different ways? Um, but leverage this live, like really dynamic event, get more people involved, apart from just during that event and then after and, and the content echo chamber continues. So I'm, I'm interested to see how, because in sports exactly as, we both just said that the, the appetite is so ravenous music and film and stuff the fandom is not as crazy it exists and it's huge but maybe it's not as crazy so i'd be curious to see your your results of how the product grows into other markets but before we get there i want to talk about your transition from being a product let's say born in america and within one sport and then now you're saying you're selling all over the world which is fantastic great job you guys but what's been the biggest learning for you uh, let's say to talk to any other startup founders out there making a transition into other markets. What's been the big, the biggest learning for you from working within the U.S. or selling within the U.S. to now selling into Europe or other parts of the world? Yeah, I mean, I I came from obviously a, a U.S. sport, but at the NFL, I was working um, on international ventures with with the league, so it helped give me it helped give me a foundation in the European market and the UK market specifically, you know, markets that the NFL is in, right. Playing games in London and, and now in Germany. Um, so I had some network and connections with teams over there and folks over there. And I mean, it's true. You really need to 
you need to have a connection kind of to the market um, to be able to grow, right? Like it's, it's very hard to grow in the UK if you don't have people over there. And I think we had the benefit of kind of some network and connections there to kind of get our foot in the door. Um, but also like that different, you know, as, as similar as kind of covering sports is in the U S versus Europe, if you're a social media professional or a marketer, they seem to want very different things sometimes. And, you know, I think part of that is cultural and the content that is expected. Um, part of that is the differences in how rights deals are managed and what they are and aren't allowed to post. Um, there seems to be more flexibility, especially in sports like the NBA, um, to posting videos during games and highlights and um, kind of more access than there is maybe in the Premier League. And that changes your content strategy kind of drastically and, and may change kind of, you know, what you prioritize in the tools that you that you buy. Um, and it's been interesting to see kind of those differences in, you know, which, <laughs> which sports give their social media teams budget to buy the tools they need, which ones are harder, which which folks care more about video editing versus, you know, care more about graphic templates. So uh, we have seen those differences and it's been, it's been interesting. Um, And yeah, I think, like I said, we're fortunate enough to have had some connections and Manchester city was one of our first ever customers um, because of that, which, you know, is great kind of feather in the cap to help us grow. Um, and like we've seen in other markets outside of the US, Australia being one that, you know, you kind of get in with a few different folks and you can catch on really quickly. And that market has been kind of a surprise one for us. That's been really, um, really great and lucrative, uh, even though we don't have anyone over there and the time zone differences um, seem somewhat insurmountable. We really have a great base of customers there and they're really innovating with the product. So, yeah, it's been a part of our kind of strategy and DNA from the start to, to be like, you know, if we're going to grow in sports, it's not just the U S um, and we wanted to get out and be international from the start. So it's definitely been uh, a good strategy to have implemented early on. Um, but we still don't have anyone um, kind of overseas full time in terms of like a, a, a sales position, right. All the kind of networking and, uh, meetings that we do end up being over Zoom, uh, which, you know, it may be easier than ever, obviously, to, to be able to do that and kind of grow outside of your market because of the current environment and how, you know, we started just before the pandemic, right? So people weren't meeting in person for most of our existence as a company. And, and maybe that has helped as well. Stay up to date with all things sports tech and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a monthly breakdown of the most important developments in the global sports tech ecosystem, paired with exclusive interviews with industry leaders. Get all of this and more delivered directly to your inbox. Sign up today at sportstechx.com. A couple of things to turn back there. First, I'll say it sounds like this, a fair summation is, yeah, just hiring a uh, head of sales or head of business development in a new market doesn't really mean much. 
uh, finding the right partners to work with uh, or building your own network there slowly, uh, maybe to start and then finding your first couple of evangelists becomes more crucial. Yeah. By the way, I find it super annoying that you mentioned Manchester City. <laughs> I'm, a United, I'm a United fan and I have been. Uh, since whatever donkey's years and I mean I, I, what, what Andrew Andrew Gilligan and what they do at Man City is incredible every single interesting conversation I have around sports tech within specific to the Premier League Manchester City is at the front of it it's amazing what um, what the innovation teams over there have built you can see really see why they're at the top of the league um, but that's on one side just one small comment but yeah uh, kudos to kudos to the guys at, at the Etihad but number two also, the reason I asked that question was, um, I guess we, across European sports, whether it's football, uh, Formula One, which has traditionally been a European sport, which is now, you know, after Liberty Media came in and it's done a U-turn and gone towards the U.S., is that there is this Americanization of sports. And it's, it's a term that's often used, but I think the biggest area you see that change is content and how sports are... Uh, a traditional sports are trying to give access like Formula One is the classic example you hear so much more of of pit talk and team radio and all of that and controversially or not but it's super fun as a as a fan to be a part of and you're seeing more of that in sports and in football and, and, and other European assets so I guess when you're coming from a market that understands content to one that is learning it a bit uh, maybe that's a really good um Let's say a way for you to get into these clubs to say, hey, we we know how we can help you before you even really understand what your problems are, maybe in a way. Um, so I guess that that presents maybe an interesting opportunity. Or I don't know if you disagree. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think um, it, it seems like sports teams in Europe definitely look to U.S. Uh, as innovators and say, okay, what's the NFL doing? What's the NBA doing? Um, I would say you're also kind of like the, when we talk to folks over there, it, it is a common sort of theme of like the U S is so far ahead in terms of content and social media. But I think, uh, folks there aren't giving themselves enough credit in that area. I definitely think on the flip side, they'd be surprised to hear that there's many teams in the U S that look to, um, international, football clubs and how they're doing social and take ideas from them as well. Um, so I think there's kind of that on especially, both sides, right? Sorry, especially in building big international audiences, right? I would that, would be, that was because the U S has done a great job of building within the U S and let's say squeezing every fan out of every corner. But what Europe has done an amazing job, the biggest clubs, especially are tapping that fan base in Asia, tapping that fan base in, uh, Australia and other parts of the world. So I can imagine that would be a great cross point of learning. Yes, that that is 100% true. And I, I saw that definitely firsthand, you know, working at the NFL, trying to grow our presence internationally. Um, you know, the, the international football clubs are miles ahead in terms of their investment in other markets, their investment in the localization of content. Um, and those are definitely looked to as best in class for that. Um, you know, in the U.S., the NBA is is does a good job at the international game, but I don't think anyone compares to kind of the big clubs. I mean, you mentioned Man City. You know, they have offices all over the world and are investing in that. It's also different too about how like 
you know, in the U S the clubs are very league centric, right? Like they don't really exist outside of the league and things very much, um, are tied to the league level. Whereas, you know, in Europe, the, the clubs are their own entities and they compete in multiple different tournaments and leagues and really have more autonomy in that way. Um, so they're able to really kind of stand alone and have more power <laughs> than a U.S. club would in relation to the other clubs in the leagues, which, you know, there's there's upsides and downsides, right? Like in in the U.S. leagues share resources and there's parity and um, kind of there's ways to leverage kind of the group. Whereas I think in Europe, there is, you know, a lot more kind of independence on the team level and it's a more complex web, but the teams also are able to really kind of control their output um, and their strategy a lot more because of how independent they are and how they aren't really tied to one single league. Like, you know, Bayern Munich isn't just going to be a Bundesliga club, right? And they they have a lot more um, that they're focused on than just Bundesliga. So it, it presents its own kind of dynamic there um but yeah it's been interesting to see too like which leagues which teams which clubs are actually going to invest in digital and social you know we we our end user is the social media team the marketing team the graphic design team you know these aren't teams that are used to always pitching for budget right like they're not getting a ton of tools all the time they're notoriously kind of under under-resourced anyway, um, right? There's not 20 people, 10, 15 people. There's usually one or two people running social for your favorite club. Um, so it's always uh, a little bit more of a struggle than I've ever wanted it to be, especially being on that side of it to get the resources needed to run, you know, the accounts that literally are kind of the, the biggest engagement point for the entire fan base but we've seen that start to change, especially in the last few years. And really more and more executives are understanding that the investment in digital and social is crucial. I remember watching a, a presentation from Real Madrid, which is maybe three or four years ago now. So this information might be out of date. Yeah. But it was, I think, that the biggest fan base that Real Madrid has outside of Spain was in the Philippines. Um, and that... Wow is built by no accident it's built by their investment in a social channel that um that was building an audience there and similarly they had found managed to find people they had a huge audience even two or three years ago in um in in arabic languages so across the gulf region and that was just because mm -hmm. there was a guy who attended the real madrid university who said hey can i go and start creating content for Real Madrid social channels in Arabic. And they were like, yeah, sure, go have it, have at it. And next thing you know, you've got like a few million people following. So it's incredible, as you said, just one or two people and making the right moves and being open to it and the impact that it can have. Um, yeah, fully in agreement. I mean, there's so much cross-learning that can happen from Europe to the US and vice versa. All right, Eric, I'm moving on. Uh, I one question that I always ask as a startup founder, uh, what's one piece of advice that you've got on your journey um, that you've that you've held on to, or I can ask it differently: What's one thing that you would have told yourself um, if you met yourself from three or four years ago now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a good piece of advice um, that that always helps, especially when things are challenging, right? Like it's never 
like growth and development is never just like a straight line, right? Like from left to right, like up into the right, into the corner. There's always kind of ups and downs as you grow and you sometimes take a step or two back to take four or five forward. And I think, um, you know, there's a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is a very popular book amongst kind of startup entrepreneurs. And um, something I think about a lot is when, you know, it talks about really the most successful kind of business leaders when asked about kind of how they did it. They're not talking about, you know, any brilliant strategic move they made or their intuition or any other sort of kind of self-congratulatory explanations. Really kind of the, the thing that most of them will say is that they just didn't quit, right? They just kept going. And I think that's, that's a big thing, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur running your own business or you're, you know, working for a company and trying to get that promotion or trying to, to advance your own career. It's so easy to um, decide like, you know what, things are happening to me and I want to just have a change of scenery or, you know, a, a fresh start will help when really you got to just think about what can you do with the tools that you have to get to the next level? And there's, there's many times kind of on the startup journey where you think about a lot of different things, right? About like, man, like what, what are we going to do next? How are we going to succeed? This is really hard. Am I getting burnt out? And there's other times where it's the complete opposite and you're on a high and thinking like, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Like this is going to be huge. Like we have the best ideas, the best team, the best product. And yeah, you really got to kind of got to ignore both sides of it, right? Like the high highs and the low lows and just kind of keep forging ahead. Um, and I think, I think about that, uh, that advice a lot of just kind of not quitting, um, and staying the course and, you know, it's, it's, you look up and you realize, Oh, like this is more successful than people thought it would be from when we started. And what can we do if we're do this for another five years and just keep kind of grinding and trying to make the right decisions every day. So that for me has been really helpful. Perseverance is key, man. Any, any startup founder will say that. Um, yeah, could not agree more. Speaking of the next five years, um, what's next? for you guys it's late uh, doesn't have to be five years but what's coming up over the next year 12 18 months um any exciting stuff that you want to share yeah we have a lot of exciting product enhancements that we're going to release a lot of them really before the end of the year um in how folks can create content at scale um how they can collaborate with their team to create content and how they can produce content across multiple platforms. Um, so we're really excited about some big feature enhancements we're going to release and, you know, stuff that teams and customers have been asking for and also stuff that we think will help take our tool um, across industries. And really, as we look into the next few years, um, we want to kind of continue finding new ways that our sports customers can get value out of Slate across not just their content team, but their broader marketing teams, other groups within the organization, like their community development teams, and uh, even like the, the cheerleader teams in the US and the mascots. And like, we're getting so many kind of different um, verticals within a single brand, the stadiums as well. 
And we're building tools to really kind of bring that all together to be kind of a full service solution um, for teams. And also, like I mentioned, you know, uh, growing outside into kind of media and entertainment and really sports adjacent brands who have a lot of the same pain points that um, that our, our sports customers have. So that's what we're looking and really the there's definitely going to be some big product announcements in the next month here. Sounds exciting. I guess if anybody wants to be part of it or find out more, uh, they can always, I would assume it's okay to reach out to you on LinkedIn or is there any other channel that you want to share? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter sparingly, Eric Stark 89 <laughs> Sometimes I'll go weeks where I'm on it a lot. Sometimes I won't be on it for a few months. Uh, but that's a platform you can find me on. And yeah, those two are probably the best places to, to connect with me professionally. God, it makes sense. I feel like I'm I'm very much the same. LinkedIn is the number one choice and Twitter is, I feel almost bad. I, I, I consume way more than I actually create on most platforms. So same. yeah, it's, I, feel, I have to say this. Yeah, I've been pretty impressed with the, uh, the staying power of LinkedIn. Right. It hasn't changed much in the last decade and it's, it's still useful. It's still something everyone uses and it, it kind of knows what it is and it just, uh, just does its thing. It's an, it's a, it's a good utility and it hasn't, uh, you know, they, they did the stories thing for a bit. I don't even know if that's still around on LinkedIn, but other than that, they seem to kind of just know who they are and, and just keep, keep the lights on. And, and I kind of respect it. <laughs> True. No, fair, fair point. They have, they've tried with a few things to ape, as you always see with, with social, these platforms that one does it, they'll all copy or, j- or jump on it in some form or the other, but LinkedIn has always at least stayed true to being a decent, um, place for professional updates all right anyway eric my last question before i let you go it's one that i i always love to ask because i believe that we're sports fans first so what has been your favorite sporting moment either as a fan or maybe one you participated in yourself i'm eager to hear oh man i've had so many so many good ones especially especially working at the nfl kind of the level of access that I got sometimes and the things I got to do. Um, I would say there's probably two that just kind of come straight to mind. One of them is in relation to actually trying to grow the NFL outside of the US. Uh, It was my first year on the international marketing team. And we set up a trip to take uh, Odell Beckham Jr. to Germany um, for kind of a cultural immersion. And obviously, um, engage with fans in person. And yeah, it was just, you know, we, they, there was a, we set up like an autograph signing for him at a new era store in Munich. And we thought, you know, a few hundred people would come out and thousands of people kind of mobbed this store. And it became this kind of crazy scene, which was a little bit scary, but also, um, awesome. It was kind of like, you know, a beetle walking down the street and this huge mob kind of followed him, to his car and I was like filming, you know, for, for social media and he hopped on the roof of the car and was like pumping up the crowd and it became kind of a viral video. And that for me was really like, you know, obviously a huge kind of win and moment of like, yeah, this, you know, this is successful. We could bring this sport here. There's a lot of fans and, you know, six, six, seven years later, I guess there's going to be a game in Munich. So it's cool to kind of see that. And that to me really stands out as a great moment for me, like professionally, but also, you know, obviously that level of access and being a part of something like that. And 
Um, yeah, that's a big one. Um, and also, you know, man, I'm blanking on which Super Bowl it was, but it was the Patriots Eagles game in Minnesota. I think it was four years ago. Um, that, that was just an amazing game. And I was, (laughs) it was, I was working at that game. So I was there, but during the game, I wasn't actually sitting in the stands. I was in the bowels of the stadium watching the game on the, the feed that was coming in from the stadium, which had no sound. It had no like time or score updates. It was just like the raw feed and it was still like the best game I had ever seen. Um, so I just, uh, I love that game specifically. It was so exciting. And um, those two kind of stand out when I think of really kind of great sporting moments uh, in, in my, in my life, um, both working at the league, but it's also been nice kind of leaving the NFL and becoming kind of just a fan again and getting to watch. So I'm excited for this upcoming season. I quickly looked it up for you. I believe it was Super Bowl 52. Yes, uh, that's the one. 2018. So if anybody wants to catch the highlights of that game, go check it out. Um, yeah, that's a privilege of working in the industry, right? You get to be part of some pretty incredible moments. And if OBJ has contributed to getting a game to Munich, which I hope to catch, um, yeah, thanks to him. Thanks to you for also creating that moment. And thanks for being on the show, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ron. Great to talk to you. All right, guys, that's another episode in the can. Um, what you can expect from us? Well, actually, we're gearing up for our big close to the year, which we always do. Bunch of content coming out, uh, especially our two big reports. Well, one is the VC report, which you're familiar with right now, I hope, uh, which we do every year, talking about all the latest investments in the world of sports tech. 2021 was a mega year, and 22 has been giving it a good run for its money. There's been so much action. I think nearly 7 billion already and last year was 12 so man sports tech is going insane and the other report that we're working on is um a web3 in sports report it's about time we've been talking about this for almost six months now internally saying we got to push this we got to push this but there has to be somebody leading the charge on what's happening or bringing what's happening in web3 in sports into one place and um well sports tech x will give it a shot so there'll be two big content properties coming out at the end of the year, the rest of it is as business as usual. Find us across our channels and uh, see you in a couple of weeks then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Sports Tech All-Stars podcast with Roan Maholtra. If you like our show, let us know and leave a review. And if you want to know more about us, check out SportsTechX.com, where you can find our latest industry reports and updates. For a deeper dive into all things sports tech, check out our comprehensive database, SportsTechDB, at SportsTechDB.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us at SportsTechX on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Join us next time for another insightful conversation with a leader in sports tech.